Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Kings and chapter number 4. The book of 2 Kings and chapter number 4. We are continuing with our series of the life and ministry of Elijah and Elisha. And of course, Elijah has already spent his time on earth and God has called him home. And now we are dealing with just the servant of Elisha. And during this time, Elisha's already had some exciting times. He's already dealt with the professional preachers, the ones who didn't believe that God could keep his word, and they begged Elijah or Elisha to go look for the body of Elisha, that maybe God dropped him somewhere on the mountains. Maybe he fumbled the ball and he's laying there crying for help. After that, he dealt with the worthless waters and he helped heal the waters of Jericho. He moved on to deal with the scoffing students, the Bible college students who had been taught that the Bible wasn't true and they scoffed and they mocked at the word of God and the idea that the master was able to rise up to heaven and that one day he was coming back and they were making fun of Elisha for it. And so because of that, God sent destruction. As time went on, he also dealt with the march on Moab and dealt with the king of Moab and the king of Israel, the king of Judah and the king of Edom as they formed formed a coalition to go ahead and fight against the Moabites. And then this morning we saw Elisha and the woeful, excuse me, <coughs> the woeful woman as he dealt with her and encouraged her and asked her the question, is it well? And she was able to say, it is well. And then right before that, we dealt with the weeping widow as she had lost her husband and was in debt. And God was able to provide for her on that. And now as we come up, we could see more of what is going on in Elisha's life as once again he is dealing with students and working with the idea of doctrine. And notice if you don't mind as we find our way to the book of 2 Kings in chapter number 4. The book of 2 Kings in chapter number 4, and if you don't mind to look with me starting at verse number 38. 2 Kings chapter 4 and in verse number 38 the word of God says this. And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said to his servant, Set on the great pot, and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went out into a field to gather herbs, and found a wild vine, and gathered thereof wild gourds in his lap full, and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. So they poured out for the men to eat, and it came to pass as they were eating of the pottage, they cried out and said, Oh, thou man of God, there is death in the pot, and they could not eat thereof. But he said, Then bring meal. And he cast it into the pot and said, Pour out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, will you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2 Kings in chapter number 4? 2 Kings in chapter number 4, and notice with me in verse number 40. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse number 40, notice the phrase, There is death 
in the pot. There is death in the pot. And with the Lord's help as we explore this passage here, we see Elisha and the poison pottage. Elisha and the poison pottage. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, I'm asking that you would help us to be very discerning with this message and understanding what it's saying, what is happening, what it pictures, that we can apply it to our life today and understand there is death in the pot. There is death that is trying to destroy and discourage people's faith in trusting in you, and that we need to be aware of it and understand what the solution is as well. I'm asking that you would just let it be clear, let it be easily understood, and that you would be a help. Maybe you could warn. Maybe you could protect. Maybe you could do something in our life. Thank you again for whom you are. Again, fill me with your precious spirit. That I could say only those things that you direct me to say. And that I would not say anything that is not directed by you. No matter how good intention. I'm asking that you would direct. That you would be a help. That you be God. And in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Now, during this time, we all know the setting that this is happening during the reign of Jezebel. Jezebel's still queen. She's the queen mother. Other uh, kings have now come and gone during this time. But the scenario of the northern kingdom is still the same. That the government is the one that controls all the Bible colleges. <laughs> all of the schools. All the national institutions. And it's run by humanists. God-denying humanists and religious liberals. It's in this background here that Elisha is working with the school of the prophets. Whenever you see the phrase, the school of the prophets in the Bible, that's an old-fashioned way of talking about a Bible institute. Talking about that he's training students. And that we know that Samuel had started the first recognizable Bible institute. And that we could see Elisha, Elijah had picked it up. And was running it. Now it's Elisha's turn. And he's spending time with the students. And he's spending time working with them. And they come to a specific incident. During this Bible conference. And if you don't mind. I'd like to show you some things. Dealing with this passage here. First of all I want to see. Show you the dearth in the country. A dearth in the country. What we could see is that there's a seriousness going on in the country, not just in the pot. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 38. And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land. This idea of a dearth is the idea of a famine. And we recognize that there are 13 different famines mentioned in the Bible. Remember, this was a land that was once called the land of milk and honey. This was a place where the people were to be fed and to be taken care of. However, because of the disobedience of God's people time and time and time again, there were various famines that came upon the land. And these famines were not to be evil, not God getting back at them. It was for the purpose of trying to draw their attention that they needed God. And once again, because of the actions of the, the wicked government and the people that hated God, that the whole country had suffered because of it. And there's another famine in the land. This is a serious time. God's trying to give their, get their attention. 
Notice also where they're at. They're in the city of Gilgal. And Elisha came to Gilgal. Remember, this is the city where Elijah and Elisha had begun their final walk together. It was a reminder of where his master had served. Now, at this time, they were having a Bible institute, a Bible conference. And there was a, a hundreds of preachers that were there. And Elisha was to be the guest preacher. He was to be the guest lecturer, the one that tried to help them out. Now, again, you could learn a lot from Elisha. Elisha was an example that it should be discipleship and not degrees. How was this, uh, Elisha trained? He was trained by one-on-one -one discipleship. His master of Elijah had guarded and protected him. That's more valuable than any school learning is this discipleship. In addition, we also see it was the idea of the power of God and not just personality. We know that today a lot of people go to personalities. If they could smile and have all the teeth possible and, and be very charismatic, that people want to see that. They don't. They don't want to see some ugly preacher. They want some preacher that sounds good. They don't want someone who has a high-pitched voice and that screeches more when he gets more excited. They want a nice, calm, soothing, baritone vase. They, they want that radio voice. They want that preacher voice. Uh, some of them like the preachers that go, and I say, ah, uh, that you go uh, to Gilgal, uh, and they add the uh in back of it, and that's their preacher message. They, they have the idea they want some dynamic personality. They want someone to be able to charm and entertain the crowd. To juggle for Jesus while they're lecturing. And they want to do all this stuff. But you understand, nothing replaces the power of God. Nothing replaces someone's personal life with God. And being able just to tell them what God has given to them. Nothing replaces that. Remember, Elisha was nothing good to look at. He was a bald head. Remember this, the scoffing students laughing at him? Go up, bald head. Go up, bald head. He wasn't the prettiest guy. He wasn't the most handsome. But he had the power of God. And that's what made the difference. So here he is. <laughs> and just an opposite reflection of what the world said. The world was looking for their doctors. They're looking for the charismatic people. They're looking for those that were handsome and good looking. And yet here is a simple man who just said, I don't know much, but I know the word of God. And let me teach you what the Bible says. This was the example that was meant to be followed. And so they have this Bible conference. And they have the people from the school of the prophets. People who had graduated from the school of the prophets. And they're gathered together at Gilgal. Let me also remind you of the history of Gilgal, that Gilgal was the first capital of the kingdom of Israel, of the nation of Israel when they were under a theocracy, when Joshua led them over the Jordan River into the land of promise. This is where they set it up. This is where the tabernacle was set up. This was supposed to be the religious center of all of Israel during that time. And you know where it was at now? It was dead lifeless. It was gone. There's just something about this that we understand that every church in America used to be a live church. But in so many cases, the powerful truth that those churches had are now dead. They're gone. Lip services paid to uh, the truths that once changed people's lives. You understand that a church doesn't last forever. A local church we're speaking about. 
unless it is rooted and grounded on the word of God. And that there's a constant attack to get them to leave the word of God. And when they leave the word of God, it becomes empty, dead, powerless, weak, and anemic. Let me tell you one of the most heartbreaking things is to go to some of the great churches of America of yesteryear. Where they had to build great auditoriums to fit the people in. And then you go into there and there's a handful of people in this huge old building that used to be full. Because they left the truth. Let me tell you, truth is always under attack. And once people trade truth in, they lose the power. And everything else falls apart. It goes away. And so here we have this conference. And we have this conference and we know that the prophets here, they haven't been doing much during this time. You know, it's bad enough when disaster falls upon the land. It's another thing when the preachers are silent during this time. The people are doing nothing. They're sitting. They're not even praying or preaching when we come to here. They're just sitting there. You know, it, <laughs> I was told once of a story of a missionary conference at Moody Church in Chicago. And during there, they had a display that had a traffic light, a green light, a yellow light, and a red light. And in the green light, it lit up every time a missionary left to the foreign field. And that green light only went up, lit up once every 35 hours. That was it. Then they had the yellow light. The yellow light came on again during this time. A yellow light came in every time a North American Christian gave 10 cents towards foreign missions. And that light went on every 24 hours. And then they had a green light. <laughs> that other light, or sorry, the red light. The red light blinked every time someone died and went to hell. And that light turned on three times every two seconds. And it was meant to be a powerful display to look. Look, missionaries are not leaving the field. That green light was blank. The yellow light, it went on every day, just once every 24 hours, where someone gave 10 cents to the mission field at that time. And yet that red light, just on and on. And the people went to the display and they looked at it and they said, that's nice, that's cute, and did nothing. They milled around. There happened to be a young man there by the name of George Viewer who looked at the display. Then looked at the hundreds of people milling around in the lobby and the entranceway of the church. He began to wonder, why aren't all these people in the street giving out tracts? They're in Chicago. So he immediately plunged through the church lobby and just began to pass out tracts. Finally, that display affected someone. But you understand that we live in a time of silence. When there's, we clearly look at our country and we see it going, falling apart. And there's silence. Nothing. And no response. So we could tell that there's just not trouble here. It's trouble everywhere there. Now they're having this conference. <laughs> and so finally, during this Bible Institute... Elisha in verse 38 
came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land, and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said to his servant, Set on a great pot and see the pottage for the sons of the prophets. So again, they're in a famine in the land. So we got to feed the people. They showed up. And so he said, Let's put on a big pot. And let's get it boiling and let's just have a potluck. Let's have an Irish stew. You guys go find what you can and we will put what we could find in the pot. We'll have a big stew. We'll feed people. And it was the idea. We're going to show that God can even provide for you when there's a famine going on. And so they said that's a good idea. And so they set off. And so not only did we see a dearth in the country, but then we could see death in the cauldron. So there was nothing fancy about the meal. Just staple foods being brought together in a pot. But notice what occurs in verse number 39. And one went out to the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered thereof wild gourds, gourds in his lapful and came and shred them into the pot of pottage for they knew it not. Now, we don't know about this guy whether he did it on purpose or he did it out of ignorance but what he did, there was nothing moderate about it. When he put in this poisonous uh, gourds, it poisoned the whole pot. There's nothing moderate or subjected about it. You see, it's either healthy or it's not healthy. It's either poisonous or not poisonous. And so we start off by seeing the introduction of this poison. Notice if you don't mind what it says. And one went out to gather or went out to the field to gather herbs. Now, <laughs> I'm always very careful and very discerning when it comes to the idea of using typology. We know that there's typology in the Bible. I stick to the history and I stick to what the Bible is clearly saying within the historical things. However, we know through the, uh, the life and ministry of Elisha and Elisha, there are pictorial things. For example, we discussed the oil, which was a type of the Holy Spirit, and understood that God was getting something across here. Here is something very basic that we can understand. The Bible describes the field as Jesus is talking about the field in the New Testament parables that he talks about the field as the world. And let me, as we took this picture, let me tell you that there's a pot and it's healthy stuff. But when you go out into the world and get the world's theology and you mix it into everything else, it's going to poison the whole thing. The world does not have good theology. It does not have a good philosophy and it corrupts everything. Notice as he goes out it says, and he went out to the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine. Again we understand there's a historical thing here a true thing and we can apply it spiritually. Jesus said I am the true vine. That we know all the good things come from Christ. But when you pull things that don't start from Christ and don't end with Christ, don't belong to Christ, don't point to Christ, it's going to poison the whole thing. It's going to mess everything up. It's going to put poison into the pot. So when a world goes to the, the world to theology, we know what to expect. It's going to be poison. It's going to mess everything up. When you mix something that others think about Jesus instead of what the Bible says to Jesus, it messes everything up. And it's not something subtle. It's something that is poisonous. It, or it's subtle, but it's something that will do damage. Now, <laughs> this man, they, they thought they could trust him. Nobody questioned him and said, hey, what are you doing here? They thought they could trust the guy. And it was someone that was trustworthy, they thought, that put the poison in the pot. 
Which brings us to the recognition of the poison. So they poured out for the men to eat. Verse 40. And it came to pass as they were eating of the pottage. That they cried out and said. Oh thou man of God. There is death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. Could you imagine what it would be. That you get your helping of the stew. And it pours out. And then you go wait a second. I know the land. This is poison. This is not good. And how it stopped everything right then and there. It messed everything up. There's poison. Now no one can eat this. This is the thing of death. And remember, they're in a famine in the land. It's not like they could go order a bunch of pizzas from Little Caesars. There's no replacement now. They had all this food that they had worked and gathered. Maybe some of them sacrificed and it's all wasted. And they're all gathered together. What are they going to do? How are they going to work? You understand this is exactly as we go back and showing the picture, how exactly the world starts mixing in things with the church. You understand, if Satan came in through the back door and said, listen, your Bible's not true, we wouldn't believe him. We would chase him out. But you know what happens? People start to mix a little poison in the pot. Someone that you think you could trust. Someone that may have the credentials. They may have the things with it. They may sound smart. And let me tell you, it is amazing how many people will defer to someone else just because they sound smarter. Oh, they must sound, they sound like they know what they're doing, so they must know what they're talking about. I'll believe them. Let me give you some examples. There was a guy by the name of Mercer, if I have his name right, and he invented a machine, a program that would be able to read literary um, works and then be able to match up who wrote it. And so he said, you know what? People claim that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote 14 books of the Bible. Let's put them here in my little machine and let them read it all here and let's see if all the literary thing matches one guy. And they put it through their magic machine and they said, well, the Apostle Paul wrote five of these books that some other people wrote these other books. And so they begin to teach this, that we did all these surveys, we've done this magical evaluation, we have taught people that have searched there, and we can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that Paul did not write these books. And people begin to believe that. And it began to work on their faith. Oddly enough, they took the guy of Mercer and they took his works and put it in the machine, and it said that several different authors wrote his books too. So it's just how it is. But you understand, there's a type of idea called higher criticism. And people that sound really smart and people that sound like they should know what they're talking about will come and start teaching people that the Bible is not true. They'll start saying, college professors say, you know, in the Greek, that word really doesn't mean that. In the ancient languages, that text really doesn't mean that. You know the word hell? Well, it doesn't really mean hell. It just means that it's a place where you sleep and never wake up. It even got so bad that even the Reverend Billy Graham, towards the end of his life, said hell is not really hell. And this is someone that people thought they could trust. You understand? I don't want to just bash on a guy. I'm saying this is a recognizable name that people should be able to trust. And he turned around and said hell isn't really hell. 
And this began to disseminate. And these type of things go around. And they're telling people that the Bible is not true. That it has mistakes. It has errors. There are things that are wrong. And they begin to start chiseling away at people's faith. I personally got to deal with that when I was working in the Reese Chronological Bible. And started dealing with the academic world. And how many people began to expose that they didn't believe the Bible was true. They said the Bible was full of mistakes. And these are trusted people. So much so that when I now talk to missionaries and pastors and evangelists that may, I may consider to have them preach here, I have to ask them about it. About what they believe and try to ask them questions. And you would be surprised how many people I that call me and say, I'm a missionary, I want to come to the church to present the work. That do not believe the Bible is true. It is amazing. Over the years. You know people that you thought you can trust. And you watch as different people have moved aside. May I give another example? I'm not trying to bash. I'm trying to show that there's poison in the pottage. Do you know that the United Methodist. Who at one time preached the gospel clearly. Now say that Jesus was not born of a virgin. And so much declared so that it's on their official website as their statement of faith that they do not believe the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. They deny the deity of Christ. They deny that Jesus is God. And what is happening, it's all getting mixed in the pot. And it's 99% good food. 1% poison. Do you know that's how rat poison works? If it was 100% poison, rats wouldn't eat it. You know why they eat it? Because they think it's good food. If you look on a package of rat poison and look at it, 99% of it is good food. A 0.1% poison is enough to kill the rats. You know what's enough to destroy someone's faith in the word of God? Just a little bit of poison. Just someone to tell them at the right time that they don't believe the Bible is true. It erases it all. There was a lady in England who had a Bible college, a Bible institute uh, that was uh, behind a seminary that was starting to go the wrong direction and she was concerned for it. And so she had asked a country preacher to come to her home and she asked a Bible college student to come and, and um, to talk with, the pre with that country preacher. And as soon as the preacher began to talk, the... the uh, <laughs> The Bible college student who was poisoned said, Oh, don't tell me you actually believe in Moses. Come on, surely you don't believe in Moses. And the country preacher said, Well then, sir, what Bible do you have left if you don't believe in Moses? You can't preach Exodus because Moses is mentioned 281 times. You can't preach Leviticus because he's mentioned 79 times. You can't preach Numbers because Moses is mentioned 181. 24 times, can't preach Deuteronomy, that's 38. There goes Joshua 56 times. There goes Judges, he's mentioned four times. From Samuel to Nehemiah, he's mentioned 43 times. In the gospel record, Moses is mentioned by name 37 times. That 648 times in the Old Testament, Moses is mentioned. 79 times in the New Testament. 719 times in the Bible. And the old country preacher said, then I guess you can't preach on Jesus either. Because Jesus quoted Moses and referred to him by name. What Bible do you have left? You understand that cemeteries, I mean seminaries today teach that there were several different authors that claimed to be Moses. They teach that there's seven different Isaiahs. And that Isaiah couldn't have known the future. There had to be some guy who lived after Christ to write Isaiah 53. 
And what they do is they start to chisel away at the Bible. Chisel away at people's faith. And there's poison in the pot. And let me tell you that once you start not believing the Bible, you have nothing else to preach. And so you know what they start preaching? Their own thoughts and their own opinions. Back in the 90s, they had a book that came up by Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Church. And as they advertised this book, they would actually tell churches that tell your people to leave their Bibles at home. They don't need it. We're going through this book. And that was the instructions given. And today people are going through. When we have visitors come in, and I'm not saying anything new. You guys know this. We have visitors that come in that are not used to bringing their Bible at church because their churches don't use them. This is one of the reasons why we made it a purpose that every visitor that comes in, if possible, will buy them a Bible because we want to be a blessing to them. But to let them know that here, we want you to use your Bible. We want you to look at it because it is God's word that matters. It's not us. So we have a pot that is full of poison. What do you do with it? How do you rectify it? What can be done? Are these preachers here at this Bible conference, are they doomed? Well, I'm glad that there's a God who hands an answer. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 41. But he, that's Elisha, said, bring meal. You said meal? Well, this meal that he's talking about is the same type of meal offering that was given by instructions in the Old Testament law. And this meal offer, offering was a picture of Christ. And so what you do is you put meal, you put this picture of Christ, and you put it in the pot. That's the best idea. It was too late to take out the wild gourds. You can't argue, by the way, with poison. You need a doctor. You, you can't take out, well, let me see if I could scoop out the poison out of the soup. It doesn't work that way. So he put in the meal offering. Notice what happened. Verse 41, then bring meal. And he cast it in the pot. And he, and he said, pour for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. So how do we deal with the poison in the pottage? How do we deal with this? We tell people about Jesus. When people know who Jesus is, they cannot be fooled. We must tell them and teach them Jesus. The antidote to liberal poison is Christ. We talk to him, them about his eternal nature. That from beginning to end, Jesus is God. From eternity to eternity. We talk about his eternal nature. We talk about his eternal power. We speak to people about his Godhead. That Jesus is God. That he is co-equal with the Father. We talk about his incarnation. That he was God robed in flesh. We teach people about his virgin birth. That he was God and that miracle birth proved it. He, we teach about his sinless life. Do you understand that most people are taught that Jesus was a sinner as a child? If he was a sinner as a child, he cannot be our savior. He was the sinless one. He never sinned. He never sassed back to his mother. He never talked back to his mother. He was the perfect child. He was the sinless one. We speak to people about his anointed teaching. That Jesus' teaching was perfect and healthy. We teach about his miracles. The miracles of Jesus. And you see his power. We speak about his atoning death. That Jesus died for our sins. But then we speak about his burial. 
that he died and was buried. Oh, but then he rose again the third day. And that he ascended to heaven. And let me tell you, his work is not finished. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father praying for you and me. He's making an intercession. And let me tell you, one day he is coming back again. That is how we counteract it. When people know who Jesus is, they cannot be fooled. We must tell them about Jesus. Every time we preach, we run to the cross and point to the Savior. Every message in the Bible is pointing to the Savior. Therefore, we have to point them to the Savior. Every message, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. And people who know who Jesus are, who Jesus is, they become immune to poison. When they know who Jesus is. That's the answer. We must make much about Christ. We must point to him. And so let me tell you dear friend. In order for you to be immune to the poison of the world. And poison of those that want to deny the Bible. You need to know more about Jesus. You need to learn more about him. Study about him. Talk to him. Get to know him personally. If you know who he is then people can't lie against them. Let me give an example. My kids have known me all of their life. They spent time with me. They know about my personality. They know about my quirks. My wife has been with me for quite a while and she's put up with me. If somebody came up and said, listen, let me tell you some things that your pastor has taught And they start telling lies. My family who knows me and has listened to my preaching. They said no that's not true. That's not true. They can't be lied to because they know who I am. If you know who Jesus is. Then people can't lie to you. If you believe that and know for sure that Jesus is your savior. Then someone who comes up to you and says listen Jesus didn't die for your sins. You're like what are you talking about? I know he did. The answer is to know Jesus. You understand the whole attack on the Bible in the first place is an attack on Jesus. And there are so many subtle ways. Do you know that most preachers who pulpit or pastor and do pulpit work do not believe the Bible? Now they can't tell their people that because they get thrown out. But they could be subtle about it. Well, the Bible really doesn't mean this. And this miracle really didn't happen. And the best explanation for this. And they start whittling away at people's faith. And it's poison. And they say the Bible's not true. So they do a direct attack. There's others that are more subtle and say, well, the Bible doesn't really mean this. And the Bible means this. And they start attacking the credibility of it. And then you have the different versions of the Bible. And let me tell you, it may be innocuous. They may try to tell you they're just trying to update the language. But you understand, when they take out entire verses of the Bible, for example, verses that say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that is a big deal. When they start taking out verses that says that Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost, that's a big deal. You understand there is an attack on the word of God because it attacks, they're attacking who Jesus is. And if they take out these verses and if they manipulate the text and they deny the text and they change the text, they're changing who Jesus is. And then they can lie to to you some more 
and sell you some poison. Let me tell you, there is a big attack today. And the answer for you and the answer for me is to know more, more about Jesus. So you say, well, that's good. How do I do that? I'm glad you asked. The greatest thing you could do on a daily basis as a Christian is to be in your Bible every day. You know, the first law of compulsory education in America was called the Old Deluder Satan Act. And that law said that, that kids need to be taught to read the Bible at an early age because if people know what the Bible says, the atrocities that happen in Europe, like the Crusades and the Inquisition, could not happen here if people know what the Bible says. Do you know that in our country in the late 1700s, early 19, or 1800s, by the time a child was four in America, one, two, three, four, four, they could read the Bible from cover to cover at age four. Do you know that most of the Bible is written at an eighth grade reading level? That's our eighth grade reading level. Do you know that the gospel record of John is written at a fourth grade reading level with mostly one syllable words, one or two syllable words to make it easy understanding? God made his book to be understood and to read so we know who Jesus is. What is the whole purpose of the Bible? To reveal God to man. So let me tell you, the greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to be in the word of God yourself. Because when you know the Bible, you know Jesus. You cannot separate them. If you don't want to be deceived by the world's lies and the world has lots of them, know your Bible. Know who Jesus is. Look for him. You know, Moses and Paul, at the height of their ministry, both had the same prayer request. That I may know him. And if Moses at his zenith and Paul at his height said, I need to know more about Christ. What do you think that should stand for us? I need to know more about Christ. When you know more about him, you cannot be deceived and you cannot be fooled. The answer is to have more, more about Jesus. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.